Thank you for listening to another message from New Sound Church and our lead pastor, Josh Monty. For more information about us, you can check out our website at newsound.church, or you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We want to thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear how these messages are impacting your life. Share your story with us at story at newsound.church. Enjoy the message. For the last several weeks, we've kind of been going through this Christmas story. And the reality is, um, it probably looks a lot different than uh, what you thought. Um, Typically, these nativity scenes uh, all kind of have some of the same things. You've got three guys. We found out in week one that the Bible actually never said that there were three of them, and, and it definitely never called them kings. In fact, we found out that these guys were called magi, which wasn't short for magician. It was short for magistrate. They weren't kings. They were king makers. And their job was to travel the world when a new king came into the world and to give that king gifts. We actually have evidence of them doing that when the new emperor came into power where they brought the emperor gold and frankincense. Gold was a gift given for a king. Um, Frankincense was a gift given for a priest. And then myrrh is actually a gift given uh, for a funeral, which is, which is interesting, an interesting gift to give to a two-year-old, unless they had known in advance that that two-year-old was actually born for sacrifice. Now, if you've got a nativity scene, I need you to know that having three of these guys there, the Bible doesn't say that there weren't three, but it never said that there were three. But what we definitely do know is they definitely weren't there the night that Jesus was born. They didn't get there until he was about two. So if you have a nativity scene, maybe like on your fireplace or something like that, take your three wise men off and put them in the yard. And when people ask why you do it, they just say, because they're, they're on their way. They haven't got here yet. They'll be here in a little bit. So they got here about the time that Jesus was about two. More than likely, there would have been 30, 40, 50, 60 of them by the time they all got there that day. You've got, um, you've got sweet Mary and, and very worried Joseph that has a real strong, kind of a Kenny Loggins thing going on um, here. And some of you young people don't know who Kenny Loggins is, but ask your moms and dads. They loved him. And, um, and then you got Mary. Now, she's fully dressed, completely serene with her hands folded. Now, I'm not trying to start anything, but I was in the room when four humans came into this world. And my wife didn't look like this at all. In fact, on our first kid, at one point, I am 100% sure that she levitated. (laughs) Hovering several feet off the bed, just staring at me. Her head spun around, and I knew for a fact that if I touched her head one more time, it would be the last thing I would ever do on this earth. I mean, she looked at me like, she was like, stop touching me. And it was like, I was like, oh, okay. Um, so, uh, so I did, and I went and got a Snickers. Learned the hard way, you're not going to want to eat while she's in labor either. So any of you that have, had not, not, have not had kids yet, you, some of you young couples getting married, that's in your future, my man, don't go get a sandwich. Do not go get a sandwich while she's in labor. She's going to have you killed. So that's free. That's not even in this sermon. That's free. You got Joseph, you got to remember, like, you got to think about it from his context. I mean, this isn't his kid. An angel shows up to him in the middle of the night, a grown man angel, and says, listen, 
um, your wife is going to have a baby, but you need to step up, and you're going to have to raise this kid. And I'm sure he was worried about everything that was going to happen. He loved this woman dearly, but he had to watch her go through this pain, not really sure how to help. It wasn't like back in, uh, you know, it's not like in the movies. Guys really weren't present. They weren't in the room uh, when the baby was born. It's not like it is kind of now where that's kind of a thing now. I, I, I say we go back to the one where the guys are just in the waiting room with cigars. Like that was a whole thing. Cigars in hospitals. That seems healthy. And so, um, so, you got, so you got these guys and, and, um, and you know, the, Joseph's got to be just, just worried to death about how all of this is going to play out. What does this really mean for this kid? And, and I can't imagine what he was going through. We've got the shepherd. You remember, as we looked in the story, the shepherd, uh, they were out. There was more than one, but, you know, you don't have to put 30 on your nativity scene. But the shepherd was out in this field uh, looking out for uh, the sheep. We found out in the second week of our series that it was actually illegal to graze sheep just anywhere. And you weren't allowed to graze sheep in that region of Bethlehem uh, unless those sheep were priestly sheep meaning that those sheep were being raised for one purpose, to be sacrificed. There was an offering made every morning and every night in the temple, and the shepherds that were out there in those fields that night would have been priestly shepherds, whose job it was to certify that the lamb born for sacrifice was spotless and without blemish. It might seem strange to you for shepherds, strangers to this young couple to show up out of nowhere until you realize that their one job in the world was certifying lambs for sacrifice they were working in the middle of the night minding their own business doing their job when this angel shows up and tells them that everything is going to change and then you've got the angel now this angel um she's obviously from south florida because it got about 48 and she went out and got her Uggs. She's got Uggs on under this. She's got her, all her coats on, three pairs of socks. So she's a very bundled up angel. It doesn't quite look like the scene that you and I maybe have pictured for years. But nevertheless, this is the scene that we see set up all the time. I remember growing up, my grandfather, he went to Sherwood Forest Baptist Church. Sure, that's the name of it. Still the name of it. Sherwood Forest Baptist Church in Around Christmas time, they would uh, bring everybody down to the fellowship hall. You remember a fellowship hall? Anybody ever been in a fellowship hall? That's where green bean casserole comes from, fellowship hall. And um, that's where it gets its roots, in the fellowship hall. And we'd go down to this fellowship hall. It smelled like feet. And we'd go in there and, and walk around. And they had all these little booths set up that was like the Christmas story. And like you would go like in order. And, and, um, and it was like a whole big thing and then every now and then it, they didn't have enough money every year to do it but every now and then they take up that little special offering so they could get a camel and that was a big deal i grew up in north georgia i don't know if you know this um, camels are not native uh to north georgia and so that was kind of a big deal when the camel would come out and um and we'd, we'd go see the na- the nativity scene and that was kind of the the deal every year he had a very ornate one at his house that was a lot like this, but then he went as far as to he built the, he had the little like shed and had like, like real pine straw like across the top. And it was just a whole, it was a whole, a whole deal. 
And for all of us, whether or not we've set up an actual nativity, this Christmas season, there is a nativity scene that you are setting up in your life, in your home, in your family. The reality is the nativity scene, no matter where you go and where you look at it, is this centered around, all of these people centered around this baby, this, this, this central piece of human history. But in this nativity scene, set up in this way, I, I would maybe argue that in this holiday season, our personal nativity scene might not be set up the same way. See, for some of us, Jesus hasn't found himself right squarely in the center of our nativity at all. In fact, he might be out here on the fringes somewhere. And what's getting center focus right now is the gold. It's all about presence. And it's all about more stuff and acquiring more stuff. And, and um, we're spending money we don't have on things we don't need to impress people we don't like. We've got credit card bills getting racked up to buy our kids more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And what they need more than anything is not more stuff. They need more of you. They need you home. And they need to hear that you love them and that you're proud of them and that you care for them. And they don't need one more toy. And I, and I, and I want so desperately for them to have those things. And I don't think that God's anti-stuff. I, I don't think he's anti-stuff. I just don't think he wants all your stuff to have you all of the time. And so we're working so hard to keep up with this imaginary idea of what great is. And so we're, we're, we're sometimes letting the gold take center stage of our life. I think sometimes the, the, the other big G in our life is the glory. It's pride in this holiday season that sends, tends to take center stage. And that tends to drive a whole lot of other decisions. C.S. Lewis, a theologian, said that he believed that pride was the root of every other sin. That if we could ever root that thing out, that we might ever actually have a chance of living a life that would look something like Jesus. But it would be pride. So you've got the gold and you've got the glory. And then the only other G that can stand to destroy every man in this world are the girls. Now, I don't know why this guy has to represent the girls, but it goes with the three Gs. So it's the, it's the, it's the pride of life. It's the lust of the flesh. It is the girls, the gold, the glory, and the girls. And depending on us, a lot of our life is kind of focused on that right now. For some of us, we're not in that season, and those things aren't the things that are keeping us distracted. But right now, maybe it's family. It's relationships. You have this idea of what the holiday season was supposed to look like as it pertains to family, right? Like, we think that we know what it's supposed to look like. And then, and then we have all these images, and then everybody just falls short throughout the entire holiday season. So by the time we get to the new year, we're frustrated with everybody and we're super thankful that Gam Gam still lives in Ohio. Like we're just, and, 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 we, and, 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 and because we have put pressure on people to be things that they weren't made to be. The reality is Jerry Maguire made counseling very difficult for me. In this dramatic scene, if you haven't seen it, it's worth a Google, young people. He comes in, and she's crying, and he's crying. And he says this, you complete me. Right, you remember that? And then what does she say? Stop. <laughs> Where is Renee Zellweger? She's just at the house. She got her paycheck and went to the house. She goes, <laughs> you had me at hello. <laughs> you had me at hello. And he created this myth in relationships that you complete me. That there is something that you could do to actually make me complete. 
And so they, you've put an expectation on your spouse that they actually cannot fulfill. They were not made by God to do it. In fact, I will tell you in this way, young people, you're dating, you're married, you're young married. Listen, two halves do not make a whole. Two whole people make a whole marriage. So you got to come into this thing whole. And so, but because otherwise you're going to put an expectation for them to do things for you and be things for you that they were not made to be. Quite honestly, if you work on wholeness in your life and, 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 and that being a focus, you might actually have the opportunity that your marriage might actually bring about the idea of you like blessing each other and calling each other into a higher level of holiness. Did you know that marriage really has nothing to do with you being happy? You're like, oh, I know, you must be in my marriage. Like you've been, I've been in there for 20 years. Then I must be doing it right if it's not about being, me being happy. Look, the reality is marriage is not about your happiness. It's about your holiness. It is the opportunity for you to display to the world constantly to somebody that doesn't deserve it, love, service, submission, acceptance, and forgiveness. Five things that every time it's mentioned in Scripture from Jesus to us, we were called to do it just as he did it to us. And your marriage was supposed to be a window into heaven so that when people saw the way that you kept freely giving those things to each other, they would want to love the God that you love and know the God that you know. For some of us, it's not about marriage, and that's not your problem in this season. It's your kids. You see, they've been the center of the world for a long, long time, but now they've moved on. They're, in fact, they're going off, and they're getting their own families. How dare they? And now, now they're going to her mom's this year. How dare they? Hey, can I tell you this? Listen, if they're going to, like, if they're, if they're getting married, and they're trying to start their own traditions, hey, like, take it easy on them. Because it's not their fault that they fell in love with each other and got married. Like, so don't punish them this holiday season by making them feel guilty for not doing your Christmas at your house. In fact, can I tell you in this way, when the Bible says that for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and will take a wife and the two will become one flesh, that the Hebrew word used in that moment for leave was the word cleave, as in separate, as in an axe that would now divide this thing, and so now these two are a family, and that they should be able to go begin to make those traditions as a family. I'm not saying that once your kids go off and get married, they should never come home for Christmas again, but I'm saying the problem, probably the reason that you've got it so worked up in your mind is you are needing them to fulfill something in you this holiday season because that they were not made to fulfill, and they cannot be the center of your nativity and you enjoy this Christmas. I am, um, I'm preaching better than you're amening, so whatever, whatever, but anyway, um, so, uh, so sometimes it's, it's, it's those relations, and we get all these images in our head, right, about what we thought the holiday season was going to be, and like you're decorating Christmas cookies, but it never goes the way that you thought it was going to go, like this, like everybody, like with their little aprons, and everybody's just, oh, no, you stop, no, you stop. When I was a kid, one of the worst injuries I've ever had in my life came from a horrible Christmas cookie accident. What's the story, you ask? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> We're all around the table. I've got, at this time, my youngest brother wasn't born yet, so I've got a twin sister and then a brother that's 18 months behind me and then a brother that's seven years behind me. And we're all around the table, and, um, and my mom thought it'd be a good idea to, like, take flour, and she's like, throws it at my brother, and everybody's like, ha, 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 and then takes some flour and throws it at my sister, and everybody's like, ha, 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 and then, and then I'm like, you ain't getting me, and she goes to throw the flour, and I went to duck. Bam! came up head busted wide open and I was just I was out like a prize fighter I was just mm -hmm. next thing I know man I woke up on the couch 
my head was taped up and super glued, and, they, uh, and then I was watching Bonanza. That's just, how, that's, just, that's just how it happened. So, yeah, little Joe's always getting into something. And the reality is, like, I think, I think we have these images of what the holiday is going to be, and we put so much pressure on our relationship to be the center of the nativity, and they weren't made to be the center. For some of us, it's this guy. I mean, you remember this guy. These shepherds, they were out. They were just working. Yeah, it was the holidays. They didn't know it was Christmas. They were just working. They were out there making that money. Take care of those sheep. And then all of a sudden, everything got interrupted. Now, I wonder for us how many of us are going to allow this Christmas to go uninterrupted. That that cell phone that was supposed to work for you, that instead now you work for it, could ever get put down long enough for you to actually be present at your house this holiday season i do good at it sometimes and i do horrible at it on other times i'm a i'm a i'm a recovering phone addict um i hate the fact that now the new apple update tells you how long you were on your phone last week it's a i get a shame notification once a week now just letting me know that i need to get a life and the reality is we're pushing and we're pushing and we're pushing and, and, and you see what ends up happening and how the devil tends to trip us all up. We, we, so many of you young men are working your tails off because you've allowed for a long time for relationships to be the center of your nativity and you're just dying for this father to tell you that he's proud of you. Because you've never heard it, you're killing yourself and you're creating a cycle in your own home that your kids are going to repeat. Go home, turn the phone off, tell them that you love them, and I'm telling you, the world is not going to burn for the two days that you're at home being there for your family. Jesus was made to be at the center of this thing, but a lot of times it becomes about work. Can I tell you, it's really easy for pastors to do that. You can get so busy doing the work of the Lord that you actually forget the Lord of the work. And you get really good at writing sermons and leading teams and starting small groups, but you forget to stay in love with Jesus. You know how many of my buddies only read their Bible to write a sermon? And it's so easy to get there. And so I'm, I'm asking us to get back and put Jesus back in the center. Some, for some of us, it's this. Depending on the kind of church you grew up in, it's that supernatural moment that's always at the center of our relationship with God. We want the goosebumps and the tinglies. And if we don't have the goosebumps and the tinglies, then Jesus must not be in the picture. The reality is your, your, your emotions are wonderful slaves, but they're horrible masters. You don't have to get goosebumps for God to be working in your life. In fact, most of the time, he just needs you taking steps with the things that you already know, not waiting around for another angel to pop up and give you goosebumps. You already know you're supposed to serve and give and, 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 and read your Bible and pray. Like all of those things that we already know, but we're, we're making the, the supernatural the focus and instead of just understanding that God's given us all the tools to take steps and that these moments are amazing, but we are so often begin to worship the way that we worship. We, we worship the goosebumps and the tingly feelings. We worship the supernatural moment instead of sometimes just the, just the moment. So what do we do about it? The reality is I, I want you to get free of it this holiday season because I don't want you to walk around with that kind of baggage. And in Colossians, in, in the message paraphrase, I just like the way it says it in this way. 
It says, we look at this son, Jesus, and we see the God who cannot be seen. Now I'd stop and say it to you in this way. If you've ever struggled to wonder what God's heart is on a situation or on an idea, all you have to do is look to how Jesus responded to a situation to know how God responds to a situation. So you say to Jesus today, man, I've got too much baggage. I've spent too many years with work as the focus, and I've never been able to get free of that. And Because of that, Josh, well, I'm going to tell you, Jesus showed up over and over and over to guys who had put work over everything. Matthew, that gave us the, the gospel according to Matthew, was a tax collector whose work had been his focus. And Jesus shows up and says that I can change everything if you'll just give your life over to me for some of us we spent so many years just chasing down the gold and we say god i don't know how to even get free of that idea it's the glory the pride of life has gotten us all bound up or it's the girls and and you say well, can god ever take anybody like that we see that he he hung out with prostitutes that were scorned and shamed he hung out with people that were greedy and he asked zacchaeus to come down from the tree and hang out with me and have dinner with me because i love you and he constantly looked at peter who he would build the entire church on, who the Catholic Church would call the first pope, and, he, and, and this guy that was so completely filled with pride. And he said, Peter, if I can just ever work this out of you, you're going to do amazing things. When you look at the Bible, you have to see it as a book of examples, not a book of exceptions. And every time that you begin to say, I don't know how God could ever respond to me, you look at how his son responded to a person that's dealing with the same thing as you. And what you're going to find is that if, when you put Jesus at the center, he is much more concerned with who you are becoming than who you have been. So, he says, when you see how God handled it, when you look at Jesus, you'll know how God deals with it. We look at the Son and see God's original purpose in everything that was created in this perfect baby. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. He's saying right here, guys, if the nativity of your heart doesn't have Jesus in the center of it. You're just doing it wrong. He said he, everything, every purpose, every plan, every idea, everything that you've dreamed about, he says it's, it happens with Jesus in the center. Not your relationship with your kids, not your work life. For some of us, I forgot to talk about these guys because you go, well, man, I'm good at work or I'm good at you know, I, I, I'm not struggling with any of these things and my family, but for some of us, it's hobbies. Like I, like, I watch grown men, like, have a bad day the next day at work uh, for a football game. And I grew up in the South, and football's kind of a big deal. More so college football, um, because the best thing we've been able to come up with so far is the Falcons and their garbage. So, so it's college football, and but I watched, and I, and I went to school in Alabama, so like, you, have, you have to pick when you move to that state, Alabama or Auburn. And I've watched guys like, take this hobby, this, this side thing, and turn it into like, the chief focus of their life. And I, I need you to think about the fact that you would cry when your team that's made up of 18-year-old in spandex pants didn't get the oblong-shaped ball across the grass field with lines painted on it 
more times than the other person's group of 18-year-olds in spandex pants. And you're crying about it. You can't go to work the next day. We have a problem. Animals are great. The hobbies are great. The side things are great. They just weren't meant to take center stage. Which is why I need to ask you a question. Why are you sending me Christmas cards with cats in them? Why are you posing with your cat in your Christmas card? We need to talk. That's not from God, guys. That's not. I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion. Guys, that's a cat. So just think about it. And just know this. If you have a cat and you wake up and it's looking at you, it's deciding whether or not it's gotten big enough now to kill you. They're just sizing you up. Just kidding. But I'm not. But if that offended you, just send an email to josh at I'm never going to read that dot com. So what do we do? How do we do it? What do we do? How do we, how do we get it? This is what I would encourage you in as we close. Number one, invite Jesus to take his rightful place. Can I tell you this? He's not going to force himself in. He's not going to do it. I wish he would. I wish he would just grab all of us and just smack us all around and just make us into the best version of ourselves. But God made a decision when he created people. He knew that we would never have the freedom to choose to worship if we didn't also have the freedom to choose not to. And so he actually, instead of creating robots, he created you with this thing called free will. And so that means that you would have the ability to choose to do really great things and really dumb things all within seconds of each other. And so we say, could we invite Jesus back to the center, back into his rightful place? It's not easy. And I mess up on it as much as anybody in the world. But I think the second thing and the way that we practically get there is, number two, just to involve him in every area of our life. I think we can sing songs all day long, but we worship when God starts to show up first in everything. And I think for some of us, he's just not. We've never experienced church outside of this one-hour event. Do you know that there's a whole thing that happens Monday through Saturday intended to help you get through this life? that I'll preach my guts out, and I work a long time on these sermons. But I've never met a sermon in the world that can help you when everything falls apart on Tuesday. But what I do know is that there are people that can be there. I believe that you can get saved in a line, but I think you'll get changed in a circle. And my encouragement to you is when the spring gets here and we start up our small groups, I want to encourage you to participate in those small groups. In fact, can I give you this challenge? Can I ask you to do this? You say, man, my life's not changing. Everything still feels the same as it was. Uh, my encouragement to you is to get a part of a life-giving church. It doesn't have to be this church. There's a lot of great churches. Get a part of a life-giving church, but this will be my challenge. For one year, do everything they offer. If they do small groups, do small groups. If they do Sunday school, do Sunday school. If they have serve teams, serve. If they do outreach, do some outreach. For one year, get a part of a church and do everything that they offer. And if it's this church, and you do that for one year, 
And you can come to me a year from today and say, Josh, I did it. I served. I did everything that they offered. Uh, I I got in a small group. I did all of those things. And my life is worse than it was last year, same day. I'll go to a new church with you. We'll both go together. Because this is obviously not working. But if you give me everything you got for a year, I believe with everything inside of me, it's not going to be sunshine and puppy dogs and rainbows, but I believe that God is going to change you. And more so than anything else, not giving you a life that's problem-free, just giving you something to be a part of that's bigger than your problems. And just begin to involve him, involve him in every area of your life. And then lastly, that you would ignite just a passion. This is my prayer for you today as you came into church. Just a passion to know him more. I just don't think it, that life change can really happen out here on the periphery. And that this year, we have this opportunity with this new year coming. It's just a week away. A brand new year. An opportunity for us to start over. What would it look like for us to walk into this next year and say, God, I'm going to give, this is your year. Can I say it like this? 2019 will not be the best year of your life unless it's the best year of your life in your relationship with God. Because there's only just so much stuff that we can pile up. Let me ask you this. How much money do you have to have to protect you from every problem that could come up? What's that number? It's high, isn't it? Probably more than you have. I've spent, I've been with people in the final moments of their life several times, pastoring. And um, we spend so much time acquiring more stuff I've never had somebody pull me up. She's never leaned up in her final breath. I'm like, shh, 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 she's talking, she's talking. I should have done granite. Like, it's never happened. They said, man, I wish I would have spent more time with the kids. I wish I would have told my husband I loved him. I wish we spent so much time acquiring more of this stuff. Can I say this? Can I encourage you? Man, if, if you've gone out for Christmas and, you know, you just, you made this the center of your nativity and now your credit card bill is all racked up, hey, today, this afternoon, take it back. Just take it back. And when you say, hey, like, I'm, like, when the kids are like, well, you know, but mommy, I thought you were, I was going to get a PlayStation 4. Why don't you tell them this? You no, know, what you got is mommy living in freedom. That's better than a PS4. Remember that time last night when you ate food and you lived inside? Yeah. Yeah, mommy did that already, okay? You get Christmas every day, okay? My parents used to say that kind of stuff to me when I was a kid, and I thought, man, what's wrong with them? I'm just trying, I'm just, for me, it was a Nintendo. I'm just trying to get a regular Nintendo, play some Tecmo Bowl. Everybody needs to calm down. They're like, oh, you remember that time you ate food and lived inside? then I say it now, but it's true. 
What if you took it back? Can I tell you this in their heart? They don't need another thing. But for those young girls to hear, they are beautiful and worthy of godly pursuit. And for those young men to hear, I'm proud of you, son. I'm telling you, it's the gift that you would give anything to have yourself. Just give it to them. Maybe it's pride. You've been a my way or the highway. On holidays, we eating at 4 o'clock. I don't care. You come in at 4.05, you don't get a foot. Like, my way or the highway. Maybe pride is kind of taking over this holiday season. It's been the center of the nativity. Maybe it's been relationships. You've been giving your kids a hard time because they want to go to her mom's house. Or you've been giving your spouse a hard time because you created this idea in your mind that they were supposed to complete you and they can't. Maybe for you it's work. And as a family, you're going to go home and say, I'm just going to take a couple days. And I'm going to let the world happen without me for 48 hours. Phone off and just see what happens. And if it doesn't burn down, if the world still exists when I turn my phone back on, uh, then maybe I'll have proven to my family that the world can exist without me, but they can't. Christmas isn't a holiday. It's a person. And as we close today, for some of us, we have the opportunity to make a decision to put the person of Christmas back at the center of Christmas. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We would love to have you join us at New Sound for one of our weekend experiences. Check out our website for times and directions at newsound.church. We would love to hear how these messages are impacting your life. Please share your story with us at story at newsound.church.